0: Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Now podcast. At Calvary, our mission is to set people's hope in God and engage in the mission of God. Today, we are back in our study of the book of Mark. Where we're looking at how Jesus invites us to live in the present with a perspective anchored in his everlasting kingdom main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. That's how we started last week. That's how we will start this week because I wanted to make sure the kids heard that as well before they head back to Kids Connect. You see Miss Jennifer back there. So kids, if you're in kindergarten first or second grade and you're going to Kids Connect, you can head on Back for that. If you're a guest with us, welcome. My name's Ryan. I'm on the staff team here at Calvary West and Kids Connect. You see them ahead now. It's the time for our kindergarten, first, and second graders to connect with God and each other on their level. Your kids are welcome to go. Your grandkids, if you brought them, they're welcome to stay in here throughout the service with you as well. We talked about that main idea last week, first thing in the sermon, because we were reading that mashup of prophetic and apocalyptic literature in Mark chapter 13. Jesus is having a discussion with his disciples about the future. Remember, this is happening in the days leading up to his death. He's talking to them about what's to come. Part of what he says seems to be really targeted uh, towards the temple in Jerusalem, which we saw destroyed in AD 70. Part of the future that Jesus is describing seems to uh, be beyond that. In fact, beyond this present future, it still has not happened. The end of all Things when Jesus returns in glory and power, and God fully and finally reconciles all things to Himself in Christ. That will mark the end of this world and this age, and it will mark the beginning of the world and the age to come. And so, we read the entire chapter of Mark 13. Uh, If you were there, you heard it. And um, I don't know about you, but I was struck again reading it just how different and how strange prophetic and apocalyptic literature can sound. You read Mark 13, you hear from Revelation, and you just think, man, that is weird. That strangeness, that differentness about it, it can be very distracting. And that's why we said to ourselves, the main things are the plain things And the plain things are the main things. That's why we're saying it again, because we're back in Mark 13. Three of those main things that we talked about from Mark 13 that we're going to be diving into this week and next. The first is that no matter what the future holds, right? Jesus is describing the future for his disciples. No matter what the future holds, Christians can stay confident because God is sovereign over all the details and circumstances of our lives. No matter what the future holds, Christians uh, should, sorry, stay focused On eternal things over immediate things. And no matter what the future holds, Christians need to stay alert. We need to live like watchmen, posted and ready to engage in the mission. So no matter what the future holds, stay confident, stay focused, and stay alert. This morning we're talking about the third of those three things, the need to stay alert. So look with me at Mark chapter 13 the very end of the chapter, verses 32 through 37. So remember, this was prompted by one of the disciples looking at the temple in Jerusalem and going, man, that thing is awesome. And Jesus is like, yeah, and one day it's gonna be torn down stone by stone. That happened in AD 70. And then Jesus talks about what happens after that when the Son of Man returns in glory and power. And they're like, well, when will that happen, Jesus? How will we know that the end is near? And this is part of how Jesus responds. Verse 32. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves this house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, Keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. Father, as we come to your word this morning, God, we ask that you would meet with us and move among us. Father, we hear this, these words from Jesus, this teaching from Jesus. And God, my prayer is that we would hear it in two ways this morning. Once, in the way that he said it to his disciples right before his death, years before the destruction of the temple, and a long time before the end of all things, and that we would also hear it like he's saying it to us now. In the midst of the details and circumstances of our lives, of our families, of our community, of this world, and everything that's happening in it, God, that we would hear Jesus speaking to us clearly this morning in the midst of all of that. God, would you move now in power, the power of your word and the power of your spirit. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing that I wanna do is I want us to see in these verses, this is the reality of the situation that Jesus is describing for us. And if I was gonna sum it up, I'd say it in two ways. The first is this, nobody knows when the end will come. Nobody knows when the end will come. So don't be obsessed with that. Don't be obsessed With that. Have you ever met somebody who is just obsessed with the end, like the eschatological end of days? And they've got, like, man, they've got charts that line up with world events and graphs that tell you when things are getting closer and when they're not. And if this world event happens here, it means this from Mark 13 or Daniel or Revelation. And they're just always looking back and forth, right? To the world around them and what's happening and reading the signs and then back to the scripture. And that used to be like, man, that used to be just incredibly uh, uh, popular, but there's still a lot of that. That happens. And sure, some of that is just, it's totally innocuous. It's not a big deal. It's just people who are reading their Bibles. They love their Bibles and they're trying to understand their Bibles, right? Nothing wrong with that. Some of it, though, some of it can be really dangerous and can be a massive distraction. If you've become obsessed with figuring out the end, when is it going to happen and what will that look like and how will I know and all of that, that's your main focus. Guess what's not your main focus? Following Jesus in the here and now, right? Being obedient right now, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, that can't be your main focus if the end is all you're thinking about. You think about any like doomsday cult, you know, and how they operate. And I don't know if you've watched you know, some Netflix specials or whatever, but like, what's the, what's the pattern? The ones that pull from, from the scriptures or from Christianity, they get laser focused on what? Not the plain things of the text. They're not focused on the obvious things of scripture. What we would say, man, the main things are the plain things. They're not focused in on that. They are laser focused in on like the secret things the things that aren't immediately obvious when you read the text, the things that don't always make sense, the things that you might need to have some kind of special revelation, some kind of special wisdom or knowledge to figure out. They zero in on those things. And this is what they say. We can understand these things because we have that special knowledge. We have that special access. We have that insider information, and they don't. So come and follow me, a cult leader would say. Come and follow. And what happens? People are drawn away and they're isolated by that desire to know more and to have the end mapped out and to have everything figured out. And they're drawn away and they're isolated from the community of faith. Now, here's the reality. When you hear someone saying, hey, listen, I've got it all figured out when it comes to the end. And then you pick up your Bible and you read Mark Chapter 13, verse 32, you can just stop listening to every single other thing that person ever says, right? Because what does Jesus say? If you've read this, you know there is no special knowledge. There is no insider information that's available to them and not to us, to them and not to you, right? There is none of that. He says, No one knows. No one knows. It's not that, hey, you can trust me, but not those other teachers you've heard because I know and they don't. Jesus says, hey, no one knows about that day or that hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. I don't know when the end will come. Listen, you don't know when the end will come. The angels in heaven don't know when the end will come. And Jesus says, even I, even Jesus, the son of God, the son of man, does not know the exact moment, does not know the exact day. Now, that can be a little bit confusing, right? How could Jesus be God? God, by definition, is all-knowing. How could Jesus be God and be all-knowing and yet confess that he does not know something? And this is where, man, we have a very long tradition in Christianity of people thinking about these things. And you go all the way back to one of the old creeds of the faith, the, the Chalcedonian Creed and it helps us understand Jesus has two natures, God and man. Both of those natures are full and complete. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. Each nature remains distinct from the other. There's no bleeding over. They don't become one supernature. There's Jesus the man, and there is Jesus God. They are distinct from the other, but Jesus is only one person, one entity, right? One body, one life, Jesus is one person with two distinct natures. And all the things that are true of only one or the other nature are still true of Jesus, the person, the one person. And so to wrap my mind around this, I was trying to think, okay, what, what, you know, how can I make sense of that? Think about Jesus being hungry and tired and sleepy, right? Hungry, sorry, and thirsty and tired. Because Jesus is fully man, he had physical needs, just like you and I, just like we get hungry and thirsty and tired. Jesus, the son of man, would have gotten hungry and thirsty and tired. But Jesus is also fully God, and we would not describe God as hungry and thirsty and tired, because God lacks nothing. So God is not hungry and thirsty, and tired like you and I are, and yet Jesus as a man was hungry and thirsty and tired. How can that be? Well, if it's true of one of his natures, it's true of him, even if it's not true of both of his natures at the same time. Jesus, the son of man, was hungry and thirsty and tired. And so Jesus, the person, was hungry and thirsty and tired. And that helps us make sense of this. How can Jesus say he doesn't know? How could Jesus lack any knowledge? Well, if I'm just thinking about Jesus, the son of God, fully divine, then yeah, that does not make a lot of sense. But if I think about Jesus, the son of God and the son of man, as a human, Jesus would have lacked the same knowledge about God's future plans that you and I lack, right? Which is any knowledge at all of God's future plans when it comes to the return of the son. And so Jesus, the son of man, did not know. That doesn't mean that Jesus was not still fully God and fully man. All that to say, we are in good company when it comes to not knowing when the end will come. You and I are in good company when it comes to not knowing. Jesus didn't know. The angels don't know. Every charlatan and false teacher and heretic who has ever claimed to know does not know when the end will come. Nobody knows when the end will come, so don't be obsessed with that. The other reality that Jesus is describing for us is this. Everyone knows that the end will come, so be ready for that. Everyone knows that the end will come, so be ready for that. I would not have to convince you or do much to convince you that, like, you won't live forever. You've never known anyone who's lived forever in this life, and you never will. If you're following Jesus, you know that life for you ends in one of two ways, right? Either uh, you die and things on earth continue, but you are now with God face to face, Or Jesus returns in glory and power. Human history is brought to an abrupt and sudden end, and that's how the end comes. But you know the end is coming for you in one of those two ways. Either you die and you go to be with God, or God returns in the person of Jesus and brings us back. And even if you don't believe in God, or even if you're not trusting Jesus, you still know that you won't live forever. And yet... And this is the interesting thing, right? We all know it, following Jesus, not, Christian, not, been in church, not. We all know that we won't live forever. And yet nobody, Christian or non-Christian alike, nobody wants to actually live like they won't live forever. Nobody wants to actually live like they won't live forever. Why is that? I think we don't like to think about the implications of what that means for us. I think we don't like to project into the future and say, man, there is coming a day and maybe it's very soon when I no longer exist in the way that I do now. We hosted a lunch a few weeks ago that was helping people get like their wills and estates and all that stuff to put together. Let me just tell you, it wasn't like the most fun thing to, <laughs> to be a part of, right? Like, hey, you're going to die. Are you ready for that? Is the gist of that lunch, Right? And maybe you've had that conversation with a financial planner or your insurance guy or whatever, like what term of life insurance would you like? Like, well, if I die in the next 20 years, I want to make sure my family has this much money and 30 years, that's not a great thing to think about. We don't want to imagine the world without us in it because probably for most of us, there are at least parts about this life that we're really enjoying, And that we want to continue on in. And when I think about the future, and when I think about my family, and when I think about the years still to come, and there are things that I still want to do and see and experience and participate in. And you probably have all those things too. We don't like to think about the end for us. We don't like to imagine that because of what it means for us. I've probably said this several times now, but we're listening to Lord of the Rings on the way to school in the mornings. And uh, we're almost halfway through the Two Towers. We've just gotten through like the fall of Isengard. And uh, the other day we were driving and Gandalf said something really just mm, to Pippin. Pippin's one of the hobbits. Pippin has just learned a lesson the hard way. And uh, Gandalf it's going to be on the screen. This is what he says. He says, the burned hand teaches best. The burned hand teaches best. After that, Lessons on fire go to the heart. The burned hand teaches best. After that, lessons on fire go to the heart. What's he saying? Sometimes you have to learn the hard way. Sometimes you have to learn the hard way, and learning the hard way often produces the most enduring wisdom. The things that we learn the hard way are often the things that stick with us the longest. That's true. You and I know that by experience. Right? When I was a kid, My dad was getting the garden ready. He had the rotor tiller, you know, just old school and exposed muffler. And after he went upstairs to take a shower, I put my hand right on the muffler of that rotor tiller. And let me tell you what I haven't done a single time since. (laughs) I have not put my bare hand on any mufflers since then. Mason, when he was little, he reached up on the counter in our bathroom and he grabbed the metal end of Meredith's curling iron just after she finished doing her hair. His whole hand was blistered. And guess what Mason hasn't done since? (laughs) The burned hand teaches best. Literally in, in those two instances. After that, lessons on fire go to the heart. We can and do learn a lot of lessons the hard way. Or you're probably thinking about lessons that you've learned the hard way now. And, and hopefully you can look back and smile at those things now, but man, going through them was difficult. It was painful. And that's why it sticks with you to this day. The burned hand, right? The broken heart, the knife in the back, the speeding ticket, whatever it is, they really do teach best sometimes. Sometimes we don't want to listen to mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or teacher or pastor or coach or the law or whatever, but the burned hand teaches best. But when it comes to this lesson, listen, when it comes to this specific lesson that the end is coming for us, whether we go to Jesus or Jesus comes to us first, that we will not live forever. This lesson that nobody really wants to learn because nobody wants to imagine that day. When it comes to that lesson, that the end is coming for us all, we cannot learn this lesson the hard way. we, We cannot learn this lesson the hard way. When you die, that's it. That's it. There's no more learning to be done after that. Look at verse 35. When the owner of the house returns, Jesus is saying, when the owner of the house returns, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn, you don't know, but in that moment, in that instant, there is no learning left to be done. There are no lessons left to be caught the easy way or the hard way. The time for learning will be past. This is the lesson that we have to learn without burned hands. I think there's still two ways that we can learn this lesson. The first is the easiest and the least painful. That's by listening to Jesus. We can learn this lesson that the end is coming. We don't know when, but we should be ready for it. We can learn that lesson by listening to Jesus. We will never get a more clear warning, a more clear teaching than the teaching we're getting today. There's no question what he's telling us when he says this, right? You do not know when, but the end is coming for you too. That is so obvious in the text. So he says, be ready, keep watch, be alert. Don't be caught sleeping. And we can just listen to Jesus like we didn't want to listen to mom and dad and we didn't want to listen to the teacher and we didn't want to listen to the cop pulling us or we can just listen to Jesus and learn this great lesson that the end is coming for us and when it comes there will be no more lessons to be learned and if you are not ready in that day you will never be ready and you and I don't know when that day is coming. we can begin to ask the question then, am I ready for the end? Not with my will and my estate, not with what happens with insurance or my house or whatever, but am I ready with what happens to my soul in that day? Is my soul ready? My estate may be ready. Is my soul ready for that day when it comes for me? And then as we answer that question, we can take next steps together can we? That's the great thing. This is not just you and your financial planner. It's not just you and your insurance person trying to figure out the details. This is us as God's people following him together and saying, God, would you make us ready for that day? Would you help us to trust Jesus now? Would you help us to live on his mission? However many days we have, God, would you help us to live on his mission every single one of those days so that we are not caught sleeping? We, us, God is talking to all of his disciples. Jesus is talking to all of us today who are following him. The second way to learn this lesson is more painful. It's more painful. It's by watching the end come for others. We can either listen to Jesus and take him at his word and be ready. We can't learn this lesson ourselves the hard way. There's no coming back from the end. But we can see the end come for others often those that we love. Our church and day school family has been learning it this way this week. With the death of Harrison Vaughn, if you knew Harrison or are connected to the day school, uh, if you've seen it on social media, Harrison was PE teacher in the lower school, first through, I think he taught through eighth grade, and then he was the varsity baseball coach. He was 25 years old. He got sick last Friday, and he passed away on Tuesday morning. And every time someone dies unexpectedly, it is this in-your-face reminder. It is just this in-your-face reminder that the end is coming for all of us, and we do not know when it is coming. And no matter what, we cannot escape that day. I think probably every single one of us want to believe that we have at least one more day, at least one more year, at least one more decade, depending on how old you are, how much of life you've already seen right? But certainly at least one more day. And that way, if there's something that's not right, I can make it right. If there's something I still want, I can go and pursue it. At least one more day. And listen, maybe you do. Maybe you do have one more day. Maybe you have one more year. Maybe you have one more decade. And man, I hope I live another 50 years. But I don't know that that will happen. And you don't know that that will happen for you either. We just can't know that for sure. Jesus knows that. And so he's trying to help us be ready for the moment whenever the moment comes. And it's the end for us. This is the lesson that we desperately need to learn today because tomorrow is not guaranteed. As much as we want to believe that it is, as much as we want to believe, man, nothing's gonna happen to me when I walk out of these doors. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And just like you and I can't learn this the hard way through our own experience because there's no coming back from the end. You also can't learn this lesson by virtue of someone that's close to you learning it. You can't learn this lesson just because someone else has learned it. And here's what I mean by that. I'm obviously a big advocate of of being here on Sunday mornings, of attending church regularly. I believe in what God is doing here. I love what God is doing here. And I wanna see much more of it happen in the days ahead. Studies confirm what we know by experience, right, that being here in general makes things better. Studies have shown over the last 50 years that higher rates of religious activity like attending church regularly correlate to lower rates of divorce, lower rates of anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation, higher levels of happiness, people reporting on their own happiness level, and even better physical health outcomes, But here's the thing, you can show up to church and you can do everything that we do and you can be here every Sunday and you can go to all the Bible studies and you can be involved in all the outreaches. You can do all the things. You can live in proximity to people who they know that the end is coming. They've prepared for it by trusting and following Jesus. You can can be right touching shoulders with them every single Sunday. Maybe that's your spouse for you right? And your spouse, every Sunday morning, they drag you here. And you don't necessarily want to be here. You're not really here for you. You're here for them. But it's your spouse. Maybe kids and students, it's your parents, right? If mom and dad would let you sleep in, you would sleep in. And you wouldn't be here on your own, but they bring you here. Maybe it's a friend or a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker, right? Who's brought you here, who's invited you here. You know you're not here for you, because you're not trusting and following Jesus, but you're here all the same, rubbing shoulders with people who are trusting and following Jesus. You see them. You see them getting ready for the end. You see them trusting Jesus. You see them living on his mission, but it's not happening for you. You're not getting ready for the end. You're not trusting Jesus yourself. And listen, you can do all of that. You can do this stuff. You can be here. You can rub shoulders. And you will still enjoy those knock-on benefits of living a religious life. The lower rates of divorce. The lower rates of mental health problems. The higher rates of happiness. Better physical. You can enjoy all of those benefits. But listen, your proximity to people who are trusting and following Jesus, your being here among them, will not convey any benefits to you when the end comes for you. Just being around people, just having a spouse who believes and brings you to church, just having parents who believe and bring you to church, it will not convey any benefit to you in the end if it is not true of you right now. And so if you've been a part of what we're doing here at Calvary West, maybe for a little while, maybe for a very long time, Right, and you're hoping that like somehow, man, my proximity will convey a benefit to me in the end. I was here, Jesus, I did the thing, I showed up, I gave money, I went on the trip, I did the Bible study, I joined the group, I took them dinner, whatever it is that you're hoping will convey a benefit to you in the end. When the end of all things comes, please hear me, it won't. It won't. This is a lesson you have to learn for yourself. That the end is coming for you too, and that God is calling you to be prepared. Not your spouse, not your parents, not your friend who brought you. God is calling to you today. And listen, God is so gracious in that. He is so patient in that with all of us. There's not a single person here who is sitting here today or watching online that's doing it outside of God graciously drawing them, intentionally drawing them, purposefully drawing them, out of love, drawing them, out of sin and darkness and death and into his glorious light. It is God who is at work. And he is at work in your life. If you are here this morning, you can know that for sure. But listen, you being here is not enough. You have to learn this lesson for yourself. The end is coming for you. And when it does, and when you stand before God face to face, listen, if you are not under the banner of King Jesus, you will wish you were not there at all. When you see God face to face, when you stand before him in that day, if you do not stand under the banner of King Jesus, you will wish you were not standing there at all. God in his mercy is calling. That's why we're here right now. Because when the end comes for you, the time for learning is over. And every single one of us, listen, can be ready for that day. Whenever that day comes, we can be ready for that day by trusting Jesus today. There's no other way to prepare. There's no other way to get ready. Two realities Jesus is communicating. Nobody knows when the end will come, so don't be obsessed with that. That's not the point. Everybody knows that the end will come. So be ready for that. That's true for us, no matter how bad we wish it wasn't. So Jesus is laying out these dual realities. He's also setting up a contrast in this passage. I want you to look at it with me. Verse 33, the contrast is between those who are alert and those who are asleep. Between those who are awake and alert and those who are asleep. Verse 33, be on guard. Be alert. Verse 35, therefore keep watch. Verse 37, I say to you what I say to everyone, watch. And the contrast, verse 36, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. As I was thinking about this, I couldn't stop thinking about sports You know, when you watch professional sports, man, they're, everybody's, they're dialed in. You know, they're ready. They're alert. They know what's happening. Even if they're not involved in the play in that exact moment, they know what's going on. I'm not talking about like the all-star game, but like real sports, competitive sports. Okay. They know. They're always ready, head on a swivel. And so, man, they are in the flow of the game. Even if they're not contributing in that moment to what's happening, they're ready to contribute to what's happening. But when you watch kids play sports, right, it's not always the exact same. And if you've ever seen kids play sports, I'm just thinking back to my experience as a kid playing sports here, not implicating any of your kids in this. But when you watch kids play sports, you can tell a massive difference in the kids who are alert and ready and the kids who are not. This is irrespective of their skill level, right? It could be the best kid on the team. It could be the worst kid on the team. I'm not talking about skill. I'm talking about their level of alertness and their readiness. When a kid is alert and ready, they're engaged in the game. They can follow the flow of the game. They know where to be and when to be there. Again, even if they're not that great, they can still make a significant contribution to the team's efforts just by being keyed into what's going on and just by being where they should be when they should be there. But a kid that is not alert and ready Right? You've seen those games too. The game just passes them by. They just get swallowed up in the flow of it. And they have no idea what's happening. They're like a fish out of water. They do not contribute to the team's effort. They're just watching everything happen around them. And they're there. They've got the uniform on. Their parents paid the fee for them to play in this game. And they are just washed up in the action of what's going on. They are just carried away. They have no idea. Jesus is like a coach shouting to us from this passage, be ready, knees bent, hands up, head on a swivel, right? Be in the ready position because the master could return at any moment. And he does not want you just caught up in the flow of life, going wherever life takes you. He wants you ready and engaged. Listen to this. Why is this such a big deal? Verse 34. It's like a man going away, he leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Jesus is the owner of the house in this metaphor, the king over God's kingdom. Jesus is the one who has gone, right? Back to the father in heaven, raised up from the dead and ascended back into heaven. Jesus is there now, we are here. We are the servants left in charge. We are the keepers of the mission of God in this generation. We are the ones with the assigned task. Jesus has left left us in charge of seeing his mission accomplished in the world. And Jesus is the one who's coming back one day and you do not know when that day will come. You go to him or he comes to us, we don't know. But when he returns or when we go to him, He does not want to find us sleeping on the job. He does not want to find us sleeping on the job. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. First of all, your life hangs in the balance. That's the first thing that's at stake here is your life and mine. Because when the end comes and it's coming for all of us, the opportunity to trust Jesus, to bring us back to God, the one that we were running away from and rebelling against, the opportunity to trust Jesus To bring us back to God is over. That door is shut. There will be be no second chances, and we will not learn this lesson the hard way to be ready for that day. So, your life hangs in the balance. And listen, if you've been coming with somebody and you know you're not trusting, man, I am talking to you this morning when I say that. Your life hangs in the balance. But second of all, the lives of all the people that you can influence hangs in the balance as well. And that's what it means to have an assigned task in the mission of God. God does not call you to himself, expecting you to just show up at church and continue to learn more and more, right? And and just grow more and more spiritually without there ever being an outflow of that growth and impact on others. And so everyone that God has drawn to himself, this is why we say every week you are sent, To go accomplish the mission of God in your life, in your family, in your community, students, in your school, in your workplace, in your generation. Jesus wants us awake, alert, and fully committed to our assigned task. Every single one of us who have trusted Jesus have an assigned task in his mission. And it's to help people set their hope in God and then engage in the mission of God and all the ways that we have influence to leverage and all the ways that we can have conversations and all the ways that we can make an impact to go and do it for the glory of God and the good of others. And if those are the stakes, if your life hangs in the balance and the lives of others hang in the balance, I want us to ask this question. Am I awake and alert? Am I awake and alert when it comes to me and my life? Am I awake and alert to the purposes of God, to what God is trying to accomplish in me and through me? Am I awake and alert when it comes to the lives of people that God is putting me in contact with? Am I awake and alert to the mission he's calling me to or have I fallen asleep? Have you fallen asleep? Have you always been asleep? And now it's time to wake up some diagnostics that I think can help us answer that question. I want you just to close your eyes and think about this. When it comes to my life that hangs in the balance, who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? If I were to map out the trajectory of the, the growth that I've seen in the last three months, who would I be in three more months or 12 months or 10 years? Right, who am I becoming? Am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Or am I becoming more and more like something else? Who am I becoming? What's the direction of the trend line? Is it towards wakefulness? Is there a growing hunger in my life for the things of God? Is there a growing hunger in my life for the mission of God? Am I sensing God doing more and am I wanting even more than that? Or am I growing towards sleepiness, towards drowsiness when it comes to the purposes and plans of God? Have I plateaued? Have I flatlined? Have I set cruise control in my spiritual life and I'm hoping just to coast till the end and praying I don't run out of gas first? Am I living like today could be the end for me? And am I therefore making the most of every moment God gives me? What about when it comes to my assigned task? Not just who am I becoming, who am I helping others become? We're all on some kind of a mission. There is some goal of our lives that we're working towards. Is it God's mission or is it some other mission? What about when it comes to my evangelism? What am I talking to people about? What am I most passionate about? What, what, what's the tone and tenor of the conversations that I have with others? Is it all work? Is it all about our kids? Is it all about sports and current events and pop culture and the craziness in the world around us? Is that all I ever talk to people about? Or man, am I leveraging my conversations even for the mission of God? What am I holding out to people as a source of hope and comfort? People that I know who are suffering and struggling just like I am. What am I holding out to them? Who am I holding out to them? When it comes to me discipling, what am I inviting people to come and do with me? Come and live life with me. Come and experience what I'm experiencing. Come and follow Jesus with me. What values am I helping others live out? The values of my kingdom? The values of their kingdom? Or the values of God's true and greater kingdom? Am I living like today could be the end for me? Am I making the most of every moment? You can open your eyes. Here's the thing, Calvary West, if Jesus could return at any moment. Okay, if Jesus could return at any moment, then I need to live on God's mission in every moment moment. That's what it boils down to. If Jesus could return at any moment, the owner of the house coming back to his servants to check, are they awake or have they fallen asleep? If he could return at any moment or I could die and go to him at any moment, man, I need to leverage every moment for the mission of God. And first of all, if you're not following Jesus, you just, you can't do that. Right, if you've never trusted him to save you, then you can't follow him on his mission. Trusting him, putting all your hope, finding your identity, your meaning, your satisfaction in him is the first step. That's why Paul says to the Romans, right, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is in charge of me now, that I am no longer my own man or my own woman, but now I'm under his authority, and and his protection if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead you will be saved that is the only way to be ready for the end when the end comes for you and if that's not been true of you yet man I am praying that it is true of you today This wasn't always true of anyone in this room. No one is born a Christian. That's why you have to be born again. And so if, if today is the day of salvation, let it be the day of salvation for you. Now, there, I heard this message several times before I was a Christian. I heard it and I felt drawn to it. I connected with it. Could it be true that God would love a person like me that much? And it seemed too good to be true, but people kept saying it. And when I picked up the Bible, I kept reading it. But then I would, I, mean, I the moment would pass and I would leave and I would drown out that noise with something else. And I would just get caught up in the flow of life again and washed away by it. Man, if you are not trusting Jesus now, let today be the day of your salvation. The day when you get ready for the end, whenever the end comes. For those of us who are following Jesus, this means, man, I need to know God's true and highest purpose for my life. I need to know God's true and highest purpose for my life. And it is that I would leverage everything to make Jesus known, that I would put it all out there for the sake of his mission. There's nothing better that I can do. There's nothing better that you can do with your life than that. Honestly, that sounds a little bit exhausting to me. If Jesus could return at any moment, and so I have to be ready in every moment. I have to leverage every, man, when am I going to get a break? That's just one more thing to add to the list. Paul said this to the Galatians. He said, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunities, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in seeking God's mission for our lives. Let us not become weary in leveraging everything to make Jesus known. Because if we do not, if we do not grow weary at the proper time, God will reap a harvest of righteousness. And many more will be ready for that day. Thanks again for joining us on the Calvary Now podcast. We desire that Calvary would be a place of belonging and hope where no one walks alone. If you're not already, we'd love for you to join us in person on either of our campuses on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30. For more information, visit us at calvarynow.com.